You're listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you by the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. Welcome to a new episode of the Transformative Podcast with me, Anna Calori. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Rezet, the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna, where we study economic, social and cultural transformations on a European and global scale. Today, I'm very happy to introduce Dr. Steffi Marung. She is a director of Global and European Studies Institute at Leipzig University and a PI of Free Radicals, Political Mobilities and Postcolonial Processes of Respecialization in the Second Half of the 20th Century. She has worked extensively on the global connections of Eastern Europe as part of the Socialism Goes Global project, amongst other things. And currently, her research addresses socialist mobilities of activists and experts from Eastern Europe and the Global South during the 20th century, as well as debates on international development with a focus on the agrarian question, while she works on a book project investigating Soviet African studies during the Cold War. Steffi, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. My first question is, since March 2020, we've been forced to rethink mobilities and movement uh, due to the pandemic. If not our understanding of it, then at least the significance that we attribute to it within a society. To a certain extent, each moment of major socioeconomic or political transformations in the 20th century has also been characterized by a change in our understanding and attitudes towards mobility. So you've been working extensively on the history of mobilities. And my first question to you would be, how can we better understand historical transformations by looking at mobilities? Yeah, that's indeed a pertinent and also a huge question. And I would absolutely agree that mobilities are a perfect lens to understand historical crisis, because I would say that the type of mobilities, in particular of people and ideas, which is what I investigate, the type of mobilities with which societies are confronted and how they deal with it, how people experience it and how they make sense of it, as well as the shifting geographies and practices of mobilities are always a crucial reflection of the nature of the historical transformation or the rupture itself, I would argue. But at the same time, I think we need to bring together and to think together about mobilities as well as immobilities. So on the one hand, one could say historical transformations, historical crises, they provide new kinds of mobilities, both in positive and in problematic ways. So they can include flight and expulsion in the wake of war, but they can also produce new opportunities for educational or leisure mobility as an effect of increasing wealth of a society, for example. While at the same time, historical transformations and ruptures they reconfigure and challenge mobility regimes and, and efforts to control them. When we, for example, think about the end of the Cold War and when the wall came down, this obviously reconfigured dramatically border regimes in Europe, promoting new kinds of mobilities and preventing others. But also, as you mentioned, the pandemic is a crucial moment that also has reconfigured mobility regimes by borders being closed as a reaction to the pandemic. So in this way, I would also argue that studying mobilities in this longer historical perspective also helps us to caution us against these discourses of newness, not to permanently rediscover mobility as the epitome of modernity, of the global, etc., but rather that we try to think together this dialectic between the mobile and the immobile as it is articulated in an individual, but also collective biographies, which I think are a great way to understand historical transformations more generally, right? With questions such as, 
who wants to be mobile, who can be mobile, to which end, with which resources are required, which mobilities are encouraged and which are discouraged. And how do societies deal with these experiences of mobility, but also with mobile actors? And how are experiences of rootedness and of mobility intertwined? So and I think that to study how people are dealing with this dialectic of mobility and immobility is a way to study and conceptualize also what transformation means in the lives of people, in but also for larger social and political agendas. Thank you. I think this is a very interesting reflection. Perhaps moving a little bit closer to specifically your project, could you tell us a little bit about the history of these post-colonial activists and how they shaped the world and their mobilities shaped the world after 1945? So what we're trying to do is to combine different types of actors, scholars, diplomats, activists, as well as different regional foci, I could say bridging specifically Africa and Eastern Europe, but also bringing in the transatlantic as geographies of circulation between the global south and the global east, so to say. What we try to do is not to think about these political mobilities as socialist mobilities, that's what we are trying to do, which we would not exoticize, so to say, but still to try to study them as a separate or discrete phenomena. We are often asked what we mean by socialist mobilities, and we try to use this in a, in a flexible way by thinking about those socialist mobilities as modes, patterns, strategies of movement of actors that are either describing themselves as socialist or are perceived as socialist, which very often creates interesting complexities and tensions. And these people we are looking at, they observe and appropriate socialist models in order to find solutions for their specific problems of post-colonial transformations and post-war reconstruction, or trying to escape you know, marginal positions in the international political economic order. That is very broadly what we look at as socialist mobilities. And we try to think about these mobilities as, so to say, a practice of actors who try who pursue emancipatory projects, which they articulate in the language of communism, of socialism, of internationalism. So we try to be inclusive here and not to prescribe a certain definition of what socialism is and what a socialist actor is, in order to look into how these political mobilities drive forward new political projects, new economic cultural projects as well. And very often those mobilities were not only, you know, positively driven by, you know, scholars being invited to conferences or activists meeting in portals of globalization, such as Algier or Dar es Salaam. Very often they were also motivated, so to say, by state persecution, by surveillance, etc. So it's not only a positively driven mobility, but very often also a reaction to persecution. We try to bring together here histories of uh, Eastern Europe in a global perspective with colonial and post-colonial histories of Africa specifically, and to think through those mobilities through the eyes of the actors, how they connect their experiences of out of empire into post-colonial transformations into post-colonial futures, which were articulated as socialists, so to say. What we have found is much more complexity than we expected. On the one hand, we, of course, profit a lot from uh, research into East-South connections that has uh, been growing and being very productive and insightful the last decades. But what we found is how 
the people that we are looking at are not only you know traveling along the east-south axis, but they bring in very much the transatlantic. They bring very much in Western Europe, crisscrossing between different hubs, and thereby also the pluralization of what they think socialism is does not only happen via those east-south connections, but very often via experiences in London and Paris or in New York in this regard. So in this way, we try to broaden the global geography of socialism beyond Eastern Europe, beyond the global south, and bring that in. So in this regard, we're also not really interested in questions of diffusion of socialist models or export from the Soviet Union to African countries, but rather we have a lot of fun studying the many misunderstandings and incongruences that happen along those trajectories. This is really fascinating. And I think it's very important also to problematize this question of diffusion beyond exactly the kind of export of models mm -hmm. from one side to the other. Perhaps we could just talk a little bit about what kind of connections still exist today or how have they survived the end of the socialist world mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as we know it before 1989? Yeah. That's a great question, but I think it's a question that really deserves much more attention and needs to be further investigated. And that is actually what I also would love to do in my next project, to really look into those legacies and continuities of these networks, but also of these experiences of mobility. I think that what we can observe are three things at the moment. One is observing a discussion about those legacies. Firstly, you see a lot of efforts to either forget or even hide those legacies and those former networks networks of those East-South connections and experiences of mobility as they were hard to integrate into new political environments after the ending of the Cold War, right? So they didn't really fit into the new political projects that were not only ventured in Eastern Europe, but also in the Global South after the end of the Cold War with a shift from socialist projects towards market liberal economies or also authoritarian agenda. So what we see is an act of forgetting, actually. The younger generations actually have no idea. I always love to tell the anecdote when I teach in Addis Abeba at the campus there, we are looking from our seminar room onto a Soviet star. And the students have no clue why there is a Soviet star on the campus in Addis Abeba. And at the end of the course, when I talk about the Cold War and East-South connections, they are happy to discover these kind of connections because it provides also kind of an alternative perspective on the kinds of connections they find themselves sitting at the present. Secondly, and particularly in the current moment, what we see is a rediscovery of those connections in a, in a very simplified way, right? So when you look into the reporting on the current Russian war in Ukraine, you see a drawing of easy connections between those old East-South connections to the present in order to explain how and why African governments are or are not supporting or protesting the Russian policy at the moment. And I think there is a lot of substance to it, but I think in much more complicated ways than simply saying, okay, these are the old networks that result in, in the African policy at the moment. But I think thirdly, there are really a whole lot of undiscovered legacies and impacts indeed in the current crisis. For example, when you see how African students or students from African countries are also victims of the war in Ukraine. So they are also fleeing the country and how and why they do study in Ukraine and what this has to do with the past. This is something I think much more relevant to, to further dig into. But you see those legacies also when you work on the rise of xenophobia and right-wing populist and racist movements in Eastern Europe. 
Europe that is also a complex engagement with this past uh, in many respects. But also when you think about how current political debates in Eastern Europe are articulated in a language of decolonization and postcolonialism that is tied to the circulations and encounters during the Cold War. And I think there are many, many hints we already have, and there are a few interesting studies emerging, but I think we need much more to further dig into the legacies and continuities of those networks beyond anecdotal evidence, so to say, but rather to see how these have been integrated into new political and cultural reconfigurations. So therefore, I can't tell you already the results of the project that I plan <laughs> for the next years. No, but this is fantastic. And I think it's very important to think about the legacies of these connections precisely to also give further agency to the variety of actors that we look at, right? And not just think in a very, at times, Eurocentric way of, well, 89 destroys the socialist project and therefore we're not interested in those connections anymore, but those connections still persist. I think perhaps my last question is moving a little bit away from the core of your research. It's very interesting how you, in your work and in your project, conceptualize precisely the definition and your understanding of mobility. Why do you think it's important to trace the movement also of people beyond just the circulation of their ideas? I think indeed we need to think both the physical and the intellectual mobilities together, as indeed the physical mobilities or the, the movement of the body and the mind, so to say, that generates experiences of transition, of transformation, of rupture, and they really concern the whole personality, so to say. And they are very profound provocations to seemingly safe mindsets, to seemingly stable practices. And that is exactly what I found so productive when studying socialism uh, through the lens. Physical mobilities certainly promote the mobility of ideas, but what I try to show in my work is also that these different geographies of circulation, the physical circulation or mobility of a person and the circulation of ideas, these are not necessarily congruent. And there is not necessarily a coherent connection that can be drawn, but this incongruency can also be very productive. And this is what I very much learned when I combined archival perspectives across world regions. So in my case, uh, Soviet, African, as well as US archives. And when you then look at the traces of people and how they digested their mobility experiences across the divides. So I've been, for example, looking at African histories through Soviet archives, for example, tracing how African PhD students in the Soviet Union were trying to understand and articulate ideas about postcolonial modernity and rural development. But this was far from, you know, a mimicry of Soviet orthodoxy, but a creative engagement with uh, post-colonial conditions, both in the Soviet Union and the African home country. At the present, but not only since this year, more importantly, since this year, since the access to archives in Russia has become a, a bigger problem, I've become more and more interested to study the Soviet Union through the African archives, so to say, by looking at how African, but also African-American intellectuals and activists experienced and imagined the encounter and how it became productive for them to think about post-colonial trajectories. And what you find then is, for example, that Black activists become familiar with the Soviet project in Paris and London, but not in Moscow, or that a few activists travel to the Soviet South, but then inspired more people at home to compare between African and Central Asian trajectories out of empire, or that Black intellectuals would start engaging in socialist projects in Dar es Salaam when studying Russian history there. So there is physical mobility involved in all those stories, which is really important 
to understand how opportunities were created for people to to get in touch with new ideas but not necessarily such travels uh, such ideas travel in the same geography in the same trajectory as the people were in the same route so in this regard i think bringing together or also you know seeing the tensions and the incongruencies between physical and intellectual mobility is very important to go beyond simplified understandings of as you said diffusion of ideas but really include the experiences of being at a certain place and engaging with ideas that come from another place so um yeah that's that would be my my comment on that thanks for the question <laughs> No, this is fantastic. And I think it's also great that you gave us a very kind of concrete example from your research of how precisely looking at these mobilities can tell us something new and important about not only the history of the socialist world, but precisely the history of post-colonial thought and decolonization and so forth. So I think it's really inspiring. And I'm very curious to see the next steps in this new direction you'd like to take to tracing further the afterlives of these mobilities. So, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so Steffi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Anna. It was great to talk to you. Likewise. And thank you all for joining us. My name is Anna Calori, and you've been listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you from Vienna by Redset, the Research Center for the History of Transformations. You have been listening to the Transformative Podcast produced by Redset in Vienna.